There's a story of a husband and a wife who decided that they were going to take a trip of a lifetime, and uh, they had saved their money diligently. They had explored different places where they may want to go, and finally they decided that they would like a trip to Germany. And so the day came, they packed their clothes, they boarded the plane, they went to Germany, and they just were enthralled, were loving the sights, the sounds, the, everything about it, although they were having some struggle with the language barrier. If any of you have traveled and, and had that experience, and so they were, they were going about their vacation. One day they went to a restaurant and they were trying to fumble their way through the menu and decide what to order. And uh, finally, they identified what they thought they would like to order. And they placed it. The waiter came and took it. And as they were waiting, all of a sudden, the, the wife sneezed. And someone in the restaurant said, Gesundheit. And she said, ah, finally, someone who speaks English. <laughs> Whether you're in America, Germany, wherever we're at, it seems as though it is custom, it is habit to bless someone when they sneeze, right? It's, it's not even a conscious thought for most of us. It's just an automatic response and reaction. Does anyone know why we do that? Why do we tell people, God bless you when they sneeze? A very old custom. It is a very old custom. Yeah. Okay, so if uh, did everyone hear that? He was saying that there was this belief that when you sneezed, it was because there was an evil spirit in you, and so they would say, God bless you, in order to you know, put God's blessing on you. There's a variety of speculations as a reasoning, which are ancient and, and very similar. I've also heard you know, um, the theory that when you sneezed, you blew out part of your soul, and so you had to cover yourself with God's blessing super quick. Anyhow, there, there's all kinds of reasons um, and speculations, but it is an ancient custom. Notice this. This is from a book, uh, Pliny, Natural History, talking about Tiberius Caesar, who lived in the time of Jesus. And he asked this question. doesn't tell us why they bless, but he says, why is it that we salute a person when he sneezes? An observation which Tiberius Caesar, they say, the most unsociable of men, as we all know, used to exact when riding in his chariot even. Um, so the practice of saying bless you or God bless you when someone sneezed is in fact quite, uh, quite ancient. And again, the reasons you can find a myriad of them um, on Google as to why it may be. Well, scripture is replete. It's full of blessing and not haphazard blessing but very meaningful, intentional blessing. And so I'd like to explore this idea of blessing this morning. The word for blessing in Scripture, the Hebrew word, and it's mirrored in the Greek as well, means to kneel, to show respect, to give a gift. Right? When someone says, I've been blessed and I'd like to pass on the blessing or I'd like to bless you with whatever it is. Giving a sense of a gift out of respect 
and care. Does anyone know where the first place we find the word blessing is in Scripture? It is Genesis. Yeah, creation. So we actually find, yeah, I mean, all of creation is a blessing, isn't it? Every day. Every day is a gift from God. And it's a new gift from God. And God, at the end of each day, he says, this is, this is good, right? Um, when he creates man and woman, it says he blesses them and he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply. I think it's Genesis 1, 22, 26, somewhere around there. So he blesses Adam and Eve, man and woman, and says, I'm blessing you, I'm gifting you with all I have created. Enjoy it, be fruitful, be multiply. Um, and then the next time we find it is Genesis chapter 2, whereas the culmination of God's creation, he says he sanctified it, he rested, and he blessed the Sabbath, or the seventh day, and hallowed it. He gave Sabbath as a gift to you and to me. Jose, you were talking about long days <laughs> and how the week has a tendency to wear us out. What a gift. What a blessing that God has given us permission to rest um, and to experience all the goodness, all the gifts, all the blessings that He wants to give us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12 or on your phones or however Scripture accompanies you. Genesis chapter 12, we find this, this beautiful blessing to Abram. He's not yet Abraham. But notice what the Lord says to him. Genesis chapter 12 and beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord told Abram, leave your country your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. So here we find God finding Abram and saying, I have a plan for you, and if you'll follow the plan that I have, there is blessing. There are gifts that I have prepared for you along the way. I imagine that was important for Abram to know. He was leaving his family. He was leaving his home. Where am I going? What's going to happen? You know, he was going to an unknown place. And so for God to say, I'm calling you, but know that in this call, I have prepared blessing for you. But notice it's not just blessing for Abram. He says, this blessing will also be for others. In fact, the whole world will be blessed through you as you honor me. And I think that's inherent in God's economy. Whatever he does, he says it's not merely something that we experience and we hold on to. The gifts, the blessings that God gives to us, we do what with? We pass on, right? God's blessings don't stop with us. We get to be conduit for God's blessings. 
and Abraham followed, and it was a bumpy journey. All right? Abraham struggled, gets there, there's famine, they go to Egypt, he's afraid that they're going to kill him for his wife, and um, he's waiting for the promise of his son to develop, and he waits and waits year after year after year. So this was not just something like, woohoo, let's go hop on a train or do something, and you know the blessings just keep piling up. There was challenge in being patient for God's blessing to appear in his life, right? Another story of blessing in Scripture, one of the, the saddest, remember, um, Jacob's sons, Jacob, uh, or excuse me, Jacob and Esau, Isaac's sons, um, Abraham's would-be grandchildren, they had this sibling rivalry an epic sibling rivalry that went on right it was going on even in uh, their mom's womb she asked god the question what's going on inside of there because i i I can feel everything right and he says there's really two nations inside there that are kind of duking it out right and that followed them from the womb to birth Um, all the way through life, Jacob and Esau going back and forth, wanting what the other one had. Jacob particularly wanting Esau's blessing. And so turn to Genesis chapter 27, and we find this story of Jacob and his mom uh, deciding to wrest the blessing from Isaac and Esau. Genesis chapter 27, and we'll begin in verse 31. So Isaac has sent Esau out right, to, uh, to go prepare food. He's going to give him a blessing. Unbeknownst to Esau, Jacob has already arrived. So notice verse 31. Um, Esau prepared his father's favorite meat dish and brought it to him. And then he said, I'm back, father, and I have the wild game. Sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? Why, it's me, of course, he replied. It's Esau, your older son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Well, then who was it that just served me wild game? I've already eaten it, and I blessed him with an irrevocable blessing before you came when Esau understood he let out a loud and bitter cry oh my father bless me too he begged wow let that settle for a moment what that may have been like for Esau (laughs) he had lived his life in anticipation of receiving his father's blessing. Isaac had lived in anticipation of giving Esau his special blessing. And when Esau, who is a grown man, he's probably in his 40s at this point. We're not talking like a teenager. I mean, this is a grown man finds out that his blessing has been stolen by his younger brother. He... He weeps like a baby. He he just lets loose. Daddy, (laughs) Daddy, where's my blessing? 
don't you have a blessing for me? And Isaac says, I'll give you the what I've got, right? I already gave the blessing I intended for you to your brother, but I'll give you the blessing that I can. What a heartbreaking experience. Where is my blessing, Daddy? Have you ever felt like Esau? <laughs> that someone stood in the way of you experiencing a blessing? It may be by a parent. Maybe it's by a, a supervisor or someone who's important in your life. Someone who you look up to and who you would love to hear the words of blessing that affirm who you are and the plans that are in store for you. Have you ever had an experience of disappointment where you didn't hear the words you wanted to hear? The words of blessing. I want to explore just for a little bit this idea of barriers that sometimes stand in our way of experiencing the blessing that God wants to give us. Because I believe what Scripture says, that every good and perfect gift comes from God. That God desires to bless us abundantly. But sometimes, like Jacob and Esau, we may find that people, or maybe sometimes it's things even within ourselves, that stand in our way of fully experiencing the blessing God wants to give us. Um, Notice Jacob. Remember the story as it continues on where he knows he, it was an ill-gotten blessing, right? He did not do it honestly. That the only reason he got that blessing was because he lied. And remember later on where he's wrestling with the angel and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me, right? He lived with this idea of, yes, I've been blessed, but I know that blessing wasn't really intended for me, right? And so he tells God, I am not letting go until I get your blessing. All right, so what are some of the barriers to blessing, receiving the blessing God has for us? Number one is believing the myth that you are not yet worthy of the blessing. All right? Um, have you ever felt that way? Like, you know, God, um, I know there's blessing out there, but... I also know what's going on in my own life and I don't feel like I'm worthy of receiving the blessing. It's kind of like this donkey. If you can see in the picture with the carrot dangling out in front of it, that every step you take towards blessing, it feels like the blessing is just a little bit further away, right? And I can never quite catch up. The blessing is never quite there. And so how do we break that myth and to say, you know what? That blessing is not somewhere out there. It's here. It's attainable. It's for me right now. I don't have to wait. And if we're waiting to be worthy, we're going to be waiting a really long time. Um, the truth is, it's ours now. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. I love these verses. I think they're Paul's version of John 3.16. Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 through 8. Here's what Paul says. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. 
Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Notice this. But God demonstrates or shows His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still what? Sinners. Like, God knows who we are. I don't know if you've ever lived with this aching question or doubt in your life. Like, if people knew who I really am, would they truly love me? Right? Well, the good news about the gospel is God knows exactly who you are. There, there's no hiding from God, and God didn't say, hey, clean up just a little bit, and then I'll come die for you. Right? <laughs> Get it together, and then I'll give you the gift. While we're still sinners... Utterly helpless, some versions say. God says, I know who you are. I love you, and I'm giving my life and all that encounters and encompasses to you because I love you. I created you. I am redeeming you. And the blessing is not just sometime in eternity. The blessing I died to give you is right here and right now, I love you. Here's some very helpful words uh, for me as I've gone through my life in Steps to Christ. It says, when Satan comes to tell you that you are a great sinner, look up to your Redeemer and talk of his merits. That which will help you is to look to his light. Acknowledge your sin, but tell the enemy that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and you may be saved by his matchless love. When Satan comes to tell us that we're sinners, we don't have to ha hang our head in shame. We can own that. Like, is there anyone who isn't <laughs> besides Jesus? Right? I mean, this is not like it only encompasses just me. But sometimes we say, well, yeah, everyone is a sinner, but I'm like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, right? Like, no one can sin as good as I can sin, right? I, I've, I've got it nailed. Um, when Satan comes to tell us and remind us that we're not perfect, we can say, yep, I know that. <laughs> That's not news. But I have a Savior, a Redeemer, who knows I'm a sinner who loves me in spite of the fact that I'm a sinner and gave his life so that his blood covers my sin. Right? Covers my sin. And I can be bold in acknowledging that. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of you and me. Right? That, that's his job. He goes around pointing out faults. Right? Have you ever known or maybe been that person who knows all the wrong things everyone's ever done, right? You keep a mental checklist. Um, that's Satan. His job is, to, is against you, is to make you feel horrible and terrible about yourself. The question is whether we accept that or not. Now there's something interesting. Satan is called the accuser, and Jesus says in John 16:8 that he will give us the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and he will convict us of sin. What's the difference between an accuser and a convictor? 
Is there a difference? Let's explore that. Uh, Brene Brown, if you're familiar with her, talks about the difference between shame and guilt. And I think this is the difference between accusing and convicting. All right? Shame is a focus on ourself, and guilt is a focus on the behavior. All right? So there is a difference. Uh, um, I'll give you an example. There is a difference between saying, I told a lie, all right? and I am a liar. Right? Um, there's a difference between saying, I made a mistake and I am a mistake. Right? And so this is the difference between shame and guilt. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get this confused and we feel like when the Holy Spirit is convicting us, we're, like we're being shamed. I don't believe God shames us. He convicts us and says, listen, there's things that you're doing that are not helpful, that are standing in the way of you experiencing the life I died to give you and the freedom that is yours. Um, but he's not there to berate us or to shame us and to make us feel bad about ourselves. So here's some other nuanced differences. Guilt produces conviction of wrongdoing and hurtful choices. Shame brings hatred of ourself, right? We're, we're negatively beating ourselves up because we're not good enough. We've messed up. We've whatever. As opposed to saying, yep, I didn't get that perfect. <laughs> I flubbed or made a mistake. I'm going to learn from that, and I'm going to make adjustments, and I'm going to change from it, right? So if something from a learning experience as opposed to a beating stick. Um, guilt can lead to healing, and isn't that what God wants us to, right? <laughs> like, I'm letting you know this is not helpful so that you can make a corrective action so that you can live more fully in the life I want to give you where shame is something that is destructive, not only to ourselves, but around us. Remember Adam and Eve, God blessed them, and he said, all this is yours, and they made a regrettable choice. I think they would agree, and we would agree, right? And their first reaction they did was to go do what? Hide, right? Shame feeds on secrecy. Just remember that, right? Like, when we do something wrong, and I'm speaking from personal experience, um, the natural tendency is to try and hide what I've done wrong, right? And if I get caught, then my next move is what they did, and that's to blame someone else, right? And so um, we don't have to do that. God convicting us of saying, yes, I made this mistake. How do we make things right? It doesn't mean that everything's going to be back the way it was immediately, there may be consequences, but I can own, take responsibility, and move forward knowing that I'm still valuable, I'm still loved, I still matter, um, I still have worth, right? Okay, so that's number one. One is uh, believing the myth that we are somehow not yet worthy. May you give yourself the grace that God is giving to you where you can bless yourself here and now, right? None of us are a finished product. We're all going through this process. And there'll be challenges just as there was for Abram and, and everyone else who's lived. 
but how do I own and live into the blessing that God died to give me? So secondly is our own negative self-talk. Right? We talked a little bit about that with, with shame and guilt. Um, Richard Bandler, who is one of the founders of uh, neurolinguistics, uses this example. If someone came into your home and painted graffiti all over your living room wall, what would you do? Would you sit on the couch and just watch and look at it? Would you go out and buy some paint and put a new coat of paint and cover up what was written on your, your living room wall? What would you do? And so then he takes it and he makes it personally. And he says, you know, there are a lot of us whose hearts and minds have been graffitied on by others <laughs> who have said things that have been hurtful, destructive, unhelpful, and we have a choice. We can sit there and replay it over and over again, or we can create a new tract, right? Put a new coat of paint and to say, yeah, that's there, but I'm not going to allow that to define my life, right? And uh, we'll, we'll explore this a, a little bit more. Notice what Solomon says, power of life and death is in the tongue, right? We've all had people probably say things to us where they affirm us and they bless us and we feel like, you know, we're riding the top of the world. And all it takes is for one person or particularly a person who matters to say something and it feels like they just have cut the legs right out from under us or, you know, we just are struggling to find our equilibrium again. Here's a young poet um, and here's what she says. The way you speak of yourself, the way you degrade yourself into smallness, is abuse. And while we may have been verbally abused or words have been spoken that were hurtful, the question is, are we going to continue to hold on to those words and continue to allow that person to abuse us? Or are we going to abuse ourselves by how we berate ourselves? Or are we going to, again, be able to acknowledge that things didn't go as we planned or hoped, things are, in, you know, but I still am a person of worth and value. I still matter. All right, number three. Um, it's not just words, but doing things that show uh, a lack of self-care for ourselves. All right? I found this interesting. I uh, found it online. There was a difference between stress and burnout. Stress is unavoidable. It's just a part of life, right? Um, and it feels like there's a lot of it right now. But where do we move from stress to burnout, to a place where we just, it's too much? We feel overwhelmed. All right, so the differentiation here, stress is you're putting in too much effort, right? You're over-investing, <laughs> and it leads to burnout when you've put in so much effort that you say, I have nothing left to put into anything, right? Like <laughs> things that you used to care about, things that you used to really invest in, now all of a sudden it doesn't matter. You just don't have the oomph <laughs> to, to do anything about it. Um, when we're stressed, we feel our emotions strongly, more strongly. When you're burned out, 
you're just kind of numbed out, right? Like, I mean, you're to a point where you just don't feel, you don't care anymore, right? Um, in stress, there are times where we feel hyperactive and anxious. If we don't care for ourselves, it can quickly lead to being drained and helpless. Um, stress, you still have some energy. Burnout, you have little to no motivation. Right? Um, in stress, it can take an emotional toll, but it apparently takes a physical toll, right? You feel it, but then at some point, you're carrying this, you're carrying this, and all of a sudden, you're like, <laughs> I'm just done emotionally, mentally, physically, like everything, right? I hear this a lot in the hospital as a chaplain, where people will come to a place where, because of medical conditions and all of these things, but a lot of it has been holding on to stresses for a really long time, and all of a sudden, they just kind of burst with this realization that I can't keep doing this. Like, this is not physically sustainable. This is not emotionally sustainable. And so my words to them are, congratulations, you're human, right? To be human means that we have limits. None of us are supernatural to the point of keep piling it on and I can just keep taking it. All of us have limits. And so where do we set boundaries? How do we say, I'm willing to give and to sacrifice and to do these things, but at a certain point, I need to be aware of my emotional health, my mental health, my physical limits um, when it comes so that I can still be present rather than getting to a place where I'm just checking out. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? Yeah. And notice what he says. Because I believe a lot of times we misunderstand this verse, these verses. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you... What? Really? I can do that? I can love myself? Um... So notice what he says. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I don't know what your upbringing has been. I was raised Adventist all my life. And I don't think it's unique to Adventist. I, again, as a chaplain, I get to talk to people of all walks of life uh, in the hospital. And I hear the same understanding. Like, in order to be a good Christian... It means God comes first, others come second, and I come last. Anyone ever heard that before? Yeah. The challenge is when we, when we have that mindset and we're always coming last, if we always come last, we're going to come up empty. Just to be honest. Right? It's an ebb and a flow. There are times, you know, as a parent, like when you have a newborn, 
you are definitely giving way more than that baby's giving you back, right? <laughs> but there comes a time where that starts to even out and you're enjoying each other's company and you're able to engage and to do things and, and it's going to look different, right? And so different times necessitate different things. Again, being a chaplain working in the hospital, I get to interact with a lot of people where the roles have reversed and now the parents are being cared for by the kids, right? So there's this ebb and flow in life, but if we're always putting ourselves last, we're going to end up empty. Even Jesus, remember, when people were crowding around him, he sent the disciples away and he took time by himself. Why? There were people who needed him. Why would he send them away? Well, he had cared for them, but he says, now it's our time to care for ourselves. Because in caring for ourselves, it allows us to care for others. Right? And so... It's not intended to be a selfish thing, saying we should love ourselves or care for ourselves. It's saying you can't get water from a dry well, right? If I'm not caring for myself and receiving blessing and care from other people that are pouring into me, then what am I going to have to pour into other people? It's going to get less and less. And so this commandment doesn't say that we have to always be last. It says, love God, love others, as, as the assumption is we're knowing, learning how to love ourselves. And when we know how to love ourselves well, we'll hold space for others to love themselves well, and we'll love well too, right? Again, we're not the end point of the blessings but we may need to be if we're always putting ourselves last. It's a balancing act, right? It's always a balancing act. And so there'll be moments there where love says you're going to need to step up and give more, right? And there's going to be moments of saying, I need to step back and refill so I can continue to do this. It's not selfish. One of my prayers, go-to prayers in my life, is may I live a life that honors God, is true to myself, and a blessing to others, right? It's all three. I want to love God, I want to care well for myself, and I want to pass that on and be a blessing to others. All right, I just want to speak quickly about the power of blessing, because when we receive blessing, it is such a gift. And it comes in different ways. Sean, uh, John O'Donohue wrote a book called To Bless the Space Between Us. It's a whole book of blessings. And I love it. I connect with some more than I do with others. But here's some of what he says about a blessing. A blessing awakens future wholeness. Oh, I don't know about you. That just like uh, soothes my soul. Awakens future wholeness. To invoke a blessing is to call some of that wholeness upon a person now. Right? Isn't that what God does for us? God says, I've died and I've got all of this stuff that's waiting for you, but I'm not just blessing you like when eternity starts. I've got blessing for you now. Let me, let me carry some of your burden. Right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Let me 
be beside you. Let me bless you. Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. I love you. And it's God and us speaking into ourselves and into others a sense of wholeness. We live very, our tendency is to live very fragmented lives, right? Very fragmented lives. And so how do we call wholeness into being and say, yes, I'm a work in progress, but there's blessing in this journey. There's blessing right here and right now and to give a sense of wholeness. I really believe that as, as the church, that what the world needs to hear most from us, I believe from the Holy Spirit, it can be conviction of sin. <laughs> For us, it's taking God's blessing and pronouncing on other people's and making the world a more whole place through the gifts that God has to give us, right? God created this whole beautiful thing in creation. It was broken apart by sin, and the story of redemption is how God is making us and all of his creation whole again. So what does that blessing look like, feel like, in our lives? Here's one of um, his blessings that I have found helpful. May all that is unforgiven in you be released. May your fears yield their deepest tranquilities. And may all that is unlived in you blossom into a future graced with love. I don't know how that sits with you, but it's like a warm hug for me. <laughs> the idea that God wants to be able to forgive us, to heal us, and to, that our future would blossom into a future graced with love. May it be so. All right. Just for a moment, I'd like you to experience this blessing. So we'll just wrap up with this. I'd like you to, in your own being, your heart, your mind, ask yourselves this question. Maybe you know this answer. There are some people I ask this and they, they know immediately. What are the words that your being would most like to hear right now? What are words of blessing that would give you a sense of wholeness, of well-being, of affirmation? Okay? Now, some people struggle with that. Some people really struggle with self-care and what it means to bless themselves. So what I often tell people is if you encountered a hurting, some people are closer to animals, some people are closer to people. You know, if you hear a wounded dog or cat or whatever, or if your child was in pain or you saw a child in pain, what would you do to comfort that living thing? right? What words would you speak? What would, you, would you hug it? Would you hold it? Would you wrap it up? What, what would you do to say, I'm here and you're going to be okay? So if you're struggling to, to figure out the words that you would most like to hear, what are the words that you would tell others who are hurting? Because most often what we tell, would tell others are what we need most ourselves, okay?
And sometimes um, we have a tendency, again, to distance it and to say, for instance, I'll just use an example. Someone might say, the words I most want to hear is that it's going to be okay, right? It's going to be okay. What person is it's going to be okay? That's third person, right? It's kind of out there somewhere. Second person is, um, I'd like to hear the words that you are going to be okay. That's still... But where we really settle, I'd like to hear the words that I'm going to be okay. Right? And so being able to tell ourselves whatever those words are, maybe, Kevin, I am enough. I don't have to do anything to earn anyone's favor. Right here, right now, as I am, I am enough. I am loved. I am cared for, whatever it is for you. And I'd ask you as well, has anyone ever spoken these words to you before? Journeying with with people, sometimes I find that the brokenness comes in that they've had people speak blessing into their life and they've heard these words and then the person disappeared, whether it was through death or something happened, And there is a real grief that that person and that blessing is no longer there. And so I invite, if there's a memory of someone who has spoke blessing, affirmation into your life, what are those words? Who is that person? What is that voice associated with it? Um, And lastly, I would invite you to, to think about perhaps a physical connection. I'll give you a couple of examples really quick. Um, one for me, one of my favorite memories of a, of a person who was very blessing and affirming to me was my grandmother. And one of the memories that I have was that we would go to her house and she would very often wear, uh, she would wear kind of these tank top shirts. So her shoulder, her arms were, were exposed and, uh, sorry, it's emotional just thinking about it. Um, I remember sitting with her on the couch and the sense of safety and well-being when I would just saddle up and her arm would be next to my cheek, right? Next to grandma. That was a safe, safe spot for me. And so that's, that's a memory when I think about affirmation and blessing. I, I can just put my hand to my cheek and feel my grandmother and relive those moments and think, I'm going to be Okay. I know someone who loves me, someone who's in my corner. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I was with a patient one time, and she talked about a grandmother as well. But her grandmother, they would sit next to each other, and her grandmother would just kind of run her fingers up and down her arm as kind of a soothing physical connection. And pretty soon, um, this patient was talking about life and wholeness, and she would start self-soothing just by reenacting what grandma used to do, right? Pretty soon you don't even have to say the words. It's just like, ah, I'm going to be okay, right? So my hope and my desire for all of us is that you know that God loves you right here, right now, for who you are. You don't have to prove that. You don't have to, just right now. And that you would be able to live into that blessing 
I had an educator who would say, I want you to know that you are blessed from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. (laughs) And that I'm blessed in this spot. And when I move to this spot, I carry that blessing with me, right? When I move over here, like the blessing isn't somewhere out there. The blessing is here. And then I can live in that blessing and I can embody that blessing and I can bless others with that blessing, all right? So, May it be well with you. May you know that you are loved, you are enough, you are blessed. And may you overflow with blessing. As David says, my cup is full and runs over. And may that wholeness and that blessing spill out of you and make the world a more whole and more blessed place because you are living the blessing God died to give you.